0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. I'm Jay. Today's topic, Stargirl Season 1, the latest TV offering based on DC Comics characters. The series follows high school student Courtney Whitmore, portrayed by Breck Basinger, who discovers the cosmic staff and becomes the inspiration for a new generation of superheroes who become the Justice
1: Society of America. This is your warning. We will
0: be talking spoilers.
1: Yeah, this is, um, this is a big one. Uh, I know specifically for Jeff Johns, who was the executive producer, because Stargirl, of course, being the character based on his teenage sister, who unfortunately died around age 16, um, and he created the girl, character of Stargirl as... A tribute to her his sister's name was courtney johns in fact at the end of the season we do get uh in tribute to um and whitmore the her surname courtney whitmore is the name of the high school that she went to at the time
0: wow i did not know the last part but you're right yes she passed away 1996 a good few years ago and he's also the showrunner This is completely his show. We've seen Jeff Johns, obviously, you know, started in comics, but his name has popped up, you know, in movies and TV. But this is the one that you can
1: say is his. It's his character and his show. Yeah, and um, you can tell, especially with the the strong emphasis on family for this show, um, how much... I, I wonder... I haven't seen any interviews with him, um, but I imagine that that was, it, it it was like stepping back into 96 for him at points working on the series because it's got to be an emotional toll. Um, and it must have been so hard to get through. Like every day you're looking at this person representing uh, not just the character you created, but your sister and it's uh, surrounded by a family like, well, oh. um, but you know he's he's put a, he's put the show together and you know all credit to him you don't see um the stitching on this show it's it's done competently like the rest of the uh, the dc live action tv shows
0: you know we should also give a quick shout out to lee modder who is the artist the co-creator of the star spangled kid or Stargirl. Yeah. Yes, because the Star Spangled Kid, now that was somebody else, wasn't it? But the character of Stargirl, yeah. it gets a little bit confusing because you've got Sylvester Pemberton. He was the Star Spangled Kid originally in the comics, but in the TV show, he was the original Starman.
1: Yeah, he graduated up uh, from Star Spangled Kid working with the Seven Soldiers of Victory, even though there are eight of them, <laughs> which <they> is <didn't laughs> a, a, a good gag. Yes, uh, with his sidekick, Z. Um, we'll get and... to
0: all of that. We'll get to all that. But yeah, yeah Lee Moda. <laughs> Again, just giving, giving yeah. the guy props. Um, I, yeah. I read these comics originally years ago. Not when they first came out. Um, but I remember seeing the character in John's run on JSA and then picking up Stars and Stripe, which was yeah. a great series. And with the show coming out, I did a full reread of that collection and yeah great storytelling and great art by Moda
1: yeah and um it always reminded me of the Frank Miller um, Rusty uh, Big Guy and Rusty comic uh, in terms of its its tone um, which this show does not have there's not a there's there's a there's a a, a lightness of tone for that and they did the the Nickelode was it Nickelodeon no Fox 8 cartoon in the uh, late 90s of it as well which you know very astro boy very upbeat of like you know and capturing that golden age of like gee Jillikers and it being fun there is no fun in this show this is this is um in not not in terms of like hey we're heroes like we're great it's all woof Kick all like almost kick ass without the uh, swearing and blood. In terms of is, there's there's uh, repercussions for being a, he- a young hero.
0: What I will say though is what you're saying isn't in this show. I think whether it's going to be in the second season, three seasons, however many years the show goes on for, when we get flashbacks to the JSA in their prime. That's where I think you're going to see what you're talking about there. You're going to get the G willikers. But we're coming to the JSA at the end, really. I mean, that fight scene, the opening of this show, like you were saying that the way the shows were put together, you can't see the stitching. This is an expensive-looking show, more so than what you get from the CW shows. Like there's times where it's almost like watching a movie. And when you see Stripe for the first time, it's like, holy shit. It looks great.
1: Yeah. And for those listening, Stripe is a giant uh, robot mech. Like I want to say like nearly 20 feet, (laughs) at least 16 feet, but probably between 16, 20 feet tall robot that he, uh, pat dugan operates inside the chest um yeah it is really good effects on on him um there's always going to be the the i watch the corridor cruise youtube videos of uh a visual effects artist react and they always talk about when it comes to effects the biggest thing on terms of it looking of quality is time because it takes time to render the effects and on a TV budget and on a TV series, you have even less time because these things have to come out. So they don't have the six months plus of just literally computers rendering the final product, Um, which is why things like back woman work better in this sense, because it's set at night and it's easier to hide cheaper effects in dark this is a show taking place during the day, <laughs> so it takes a lot more skill to get it to look seamless. Sometimes it doesn't look quite right, but that's just the nature of a TV budget is that's all they had to get that one in the can and it's gotta go out. Um but yeah, it's it's done really well. Um you know, the DC's T V effects team, I think they have like two or three companies now working. Um, the flash and arrow used to share one team i think legends of tomorrow and someone else shared another one and they've had to hire a third one they're putting out so many shows now but they are doing phenomenal work again on a tv scale but the the camera angles and the lighting this is not this is a this is a step above the shots they tend to pick on the other cw shows Yeah, it's very cinematic.
0: You know, we're only talking about a show that so far has had one season. And even that the season itself, is it what, thirteen episodes? It's a lot shorter than what you'd get on the CW shows. But already the that the distribution or where the show is made available has changed considerably. Like in the beginning, it was a DC Universe show. As recent as this week. DC Universe, as we knew it, is no more. It's gone from being DC streaming service, where we've got shows like Titans, Young Justice, uh, what are the other ones? Doom Patrol. because Swamp Thing. Yeah, Swamp Thing. I mean, Swamp Thing now is being getting recirculated on the CW. It's still that one season. Doom Patrol has gone to HBO Max. Harley Quinn season three also HBO Max, and that is where all the shows are going, except for Stargirl, that will be moving to the CW. But they did an interesting thing. Day one, DC Universe would release a new episode. Day two, the CW would then release the new episode. So CW was always a day behind. But now for season two, That will be the only place that you can go to, to watch new episodes of Stargirl. And because of that, I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast before, how all the CW shows, or should I say the DC CW shows, all shot in Vancouver. And Johns was asked, is that going to be the same for Stargirl? Are we looking at a reduction in quality? Are we going to relocate? And his answer was no. One of the main reasons they built the robot. Yeah, when it's in motion, of course. Yeah, CGI, but they've actually built it to scale.
1: Yeah, and um, it'd be it'd be quite expensive to move uh, such a, a large prop. Um, but all, not just that the you know the town it takes place in the small town of Blue Valley. It's middle America. I want to say like West Nebraska. Virginia. I'm pretty sure it's Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah, you're right. Nebraska. It is Nebraska.
0: Because Blue Valley in the comics isn't the home to Stargirl. It is the home
1: to Wally West, the Flash. Yes. Um, and as wonderful as Vancouver is, it doesn't look like small town America. No. Uh, you're not going to, it's not going to look con- uh, cohesive from season one to season two if you move where it's shooting from it just doesn't make sense so i'm glad he stated that and i hope they back him up on that because unless you actually move your group of characters like oh we, we we solved the problem in blue valley now we've heard rumbles of something happening over in keystone or wherever you move them to like that that's the only way i can see them actually changing location
0: but so much of the story is linked to blue valley that's Absolutely. why everybody is there but we've talked about at great length already about what this character means to johns so i think if there's going to be anything that he's working on that he's going to make sure stays true to what he wants it to be it's going to be this show. What we you were talking about, how shot in America, it looks like America, and especially in like a, a small town like Blue Valley. Look at a show like Smallville. For 10 years, a show based in Smallville, Kansas, they shot it in Vancouver. So, you, you know, Kansas is known for just the ground being flat. Yet, when you're yeah. in Smallville, in the distance, mountains. Yeah, we, but we just went with it. It's okay, it's okay. Kansas can have mountains, but this show it is true to the location, so I'm glad, like you say, season two they're keeping that,
1: yeah. Um, and this has a when it comes to characters, I've, I took a whole page to write down the cast because that's how many characters are in this. Because it's not just um the JSA as Stargirl assembles for season one, it's also the Injustice Society, uh, and legacies on both sides, the originals and the, uh, the children of the villains as well for this. Um, it's it's a lot. I was scared I was going to run out of space. It but, is, yeah.
0: I mean, the, the, cast, the cast is huge. Before, before I get to the plot, um, it was established at the end of the Crisis and Infant Earths crossover, that Stargirl takes place on Earth-2, which I liked because if you look at the comics, Earth-2 was where the JSA originated before meeting the JLA of Earth-1. So I like the fact that even though the show is moving to CW, we clearly know there is a distinction and you're not going to have this character, although I'm sure it'll happen at some point, you're not necessarily going to have this character teaming up with Supergirl, the Flash, and all of that. But then again, Supergirl did start on a different Earth and they found a way to first have Barry jump between the two Earths and then to do emerging. But for the time being, though, we know that it is a shared DC multiverse, but
1: Stargirl is her own thing on her own world. Which I think is important because unlike Titans where they drop – Characters, other characters' names, left, right, center—they only refer to the characters you see on this show or the relics of those characters on this show. So, the fact that they don't mention a flash or a crisis or a stupid girl or a arrow or any of that stuff—one, it would be a little distracting on the show you're just setting up. But the other bigger point is, you know. The nature of the superhero comics and uh, and tv series and movies is there's a big possibly country wide or you know world threatening problem and they don't call him back up like <laughs> which is yeah which you, got, you know you had to move it aside and like you said traditionally the justice society have been known to be on earth two opposed to earth one where we have the justice League. But it's good to
0: give people a show, a DC show, where they can just jump in. And I mean a show of this type. So I'm linking Stargirl with Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl. It's that kind of show. It isn't Doom Patrol. That's a very different thing. So my uh, co-host from that film, Stu Jason, is so many like seasons behind on all the CW shows and he's just not been able to catch up because they're always making more. Whereas I've said to him, Hey, here's Stargirl, And although it looks like those shows, all you need to do is watch episode one. You don't need to know anything more than that pilot and just enjoy the season. Like even with yeah. Batgirl season one, it's built on the back of the hour Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's that can only help because, yeah, both companies, Marvel and DC, have this problem in the comic books of the jumping point. You know, it seems so daunting, and you've got to go into a store and talk to someone who knows what they're doing. Of like, you don't have any background, and you don't want you don't have the time to go away and like absorb a bunch of information just so you can start reading a single comic. Yeah. Uh, you need these jumping points. They both uh, juggled with, or if you had a whole separate line on its own separate universe without all of this baggage, which after two years has just as much baggage as everything else and the whole uh, experiment falls flat on itself. And you definitely need things like this. And also, you know, this is DC's first live action teen show. Where the characters are teenagers, the rest of them, all of the main characters, started off as adults with full time jobs.
0: That's a good point. I mean, Supergirl, not really a girl. No, no, she start.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the episode one, she's starting working at a magazine as a journalist, not as a, as a. I'm in college, and this is an internship. I mean, it's it's thoroughly like you're twenty something. You may call yourself girl, but you're an adult. The Flash, CSI. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One of the (laughs) youngest CSIs. always says, wait, he's like a 22-year-old CSI and he's like the head of the thing? That doesn't make sense. But it's TV. We let these things fly.
0: You just go with it. Okay, the plot for the show. One decade after nearly all of the Justice Society of America were killed in a battle against the Injustice Society of America... High school student Courtney Whitmore discovers the cosmic staff of Starman and upon learning that her stepfather, Pat Dugan, used to be Starman's sidekick, becomes the inspiration for a whole new generation of superheroes. I just love how silly that sounds because the whole thing with the JSA, it is kind of silly and hokey and everything that I've liked about these characters over the years for the most part like the spirit of those characters is there in this show and I've got to say um Greg Basinger as Courtney she's great she's the title character she's really good in this she's clearly um whether it, she's got um a history of dance or gymnast or something but she's you know she can do everything that is expected of her in this role so she's doing all that and i'm liking all of it but for me the secret weapon of
1: this show is luke wilson
0: as pat dugan
1: yeah he is the heart of the show um and what i the only thing that i kind of got annoyed at um as a viewer was he's an adult he's also the one with all the experience and no one will listen to him which i'm sure there's a there's a statement there about teenagers not listening to parents but i was as a you know someone who's clearly an adult now in my 30s i'm watching this going just 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 uh why why don't these teenagers listen to the parents like he's a parent and he's someone with experience can you listen to him can you not go in there can you not do exactly what he told you not to do can you, uh there's there's a lot of that but and he's so genuine that you you know you know like you know he's he's her stepdad and they've only just he's only recently married his mother which they established in the first episode so he does like i imagine this is a real thing for uh, people who are step parents where does your authority start with a child that you, you did not you're not uh the biological parent of and you can feel that frustration of like oh, i'm trying to do the right thing i want her to like me and i want but i'm not the parent and i don't like it's there everywhere and it's not just with um like his own son mike uh feel starts to feel the neglect because he's spending so much time with courtney which is so realistic even though he's starting to really warm up his his mother uh, uh or stepmother um but yeah, uh even all the other as the uh, more and more uh schoolmates become uh, junk jump, jump into this whole big mess with all of them he's that like that father figure of like you know like i know what i know i know i understand I understand, but guys, will you listen to me, and they all give him crap like like teenagers, like those were your names, they're so stupid. Like well, as I said, though it was a they different are. time. Yeah, exactly. yeah, they are exactly, and um,
0: but they, but they keep it in the show, and I'm really glad that they did. The way, I mean, teenagers, kids, well, they always know best. They're not going to listen to an adult, so that that rings true. But just the treatment of Stripesy, you know, when Pat was Stripesy to Starman and John McHale, like when he's got his scene where he's dying, and he's like saying someone must carry on and take the staff, and Dugan's like, I will. And he, with his dying breath, Starman's like, not you. Not you. <laughs> not you, but... Somebody. God, not, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. God, not you. <laughs> so even, you know, Starman is giving him shit, but Mikhail played that so well, and, and he really... he he looks good as a superhero. Like when I heard that he would be cast for this and, you know, when the show starts opening, Oh wow. He's really not going to be in it much at all, but it was still cool to see him. And then, yeah, the final battle of the JSA against the ISA, but yeah. And, and Dugan. So you're right. Yeah, he does. He does get shit, but then it's the way that Wilson plays it. Like he's, I mean, I like Wilson anyway, but he just, he plays it. He's just so genuine. Like, he just, a lot of the things that are happening in the show are just ridiculous. They, they really are. Yeah. And, but the, because he just pulls you in. Like, he's so earnest yeah, he does. about everything. And, you know, as his new wife, we've got Amy Smart. You know, she is really good in this. I think I first saw her in, was it Road Trip? I think she was in that movie. Pretty sure something like that. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, it might be that. Um, and I, as soon as I looked at her, I'm like, uh, I was getting flashbacks to the, the butterfly effect as well. Oh yes. Yes. She was, um, she was good in that. And she's playing Barbara Courtney's mom,
0: but they do this thing that I guess you've got to do on TV for the sake of telling a story, how, you know, whether you're the good guy or the bad guy, they find a way to have their lives be entwined but I liked what they did here. So you've got Jordan, also known as Icicle, who yeah. offered one of the killing blows against the JSA. He's her boss. And they yeah. have a bit of a flirtation going on. So I liked all of that. So you've got the bad guys living out lives in the town as civilians. Like the coach yeah. at school. Oh, no, the, co-
1: the, um, the
0: guy at the gym is sportsmaster.
1: Yeah, um, which... It's great because he's so he's so energetic and likable. Like, come in, get fit. Like, and you, and it's not until he's uh, I was it was the only reason I knew he was gonna be a villain like this whole time, this whole this, like, 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 yeah, you know, get ripped, get ripped, get ripped. Um, come do workouts. So I was like, oh, this guy's great, <laughs> and I like checked the uh, the cast list, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Crusher. slash sportsmaster oh no he's a villain i'm not supposed to like this guy because the 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 other big thing for this show is um the blue valley uh is like a lot of small towns in the u.s has over year decades been um falling apart but the isa have set themselves up there to rebuild the town because that middle that small town mentality uh that kind of a conservative look uh of what the u.s family and mentality is they're like america's lost this we need to reinstill it and we can do that like small town My small town is how it looks like it's going to go until we get the actual uh main the the thrust of their plot towards the end of the season but they're legitimately invested in the small town like they're building a, a future for their children that they believe in.
0: Yeah, well, the idea is that yes, they're gonna build a better America. And you're right, town by town, and they're using brainwave in these abilities, and they want to manipulate people. That's that's the that's their big goal, but for them, it is coming from a good place. So then when the new JSA come onto the scene, like, hey, you're the bad guys, we're the good guys, we're gonna stop you, even though you're completely on the JSA side. You can yeah. see that, okay, so it's villains. Like, you've got your own reasons for doing what you're doing. You know, certain characters have suffered loss, but it's still that black and white good guy, bad guy, because it is a show about the JSA, and that's what the JSA has always been.
1: Yeah. Um, And as we go through the cast, or the, we'll go through the characters before we talk to each one of them, but the silly names. like. Henry King uh brainwave Jordan McKent Icicle you've got Cindy Berman, Shiv you've got uh Anaya Bowen the fiddler <laughs> you've got <laughs> Stephen Sharp the gambler you've got Dr Ito the dragon king and like the you know sportsmaster and tigress like those are the Thanks to maybe it's just because I've watched so much Young Justice. They're the like normal ones to me. Them and Icicle. The rest of these names, I'm like, yeah. But I am familiar with the Justice Society comics, like yourself. So you just kind of take it like the corniness. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's the characters. You know, they'll completely like the 40s and
0: 50s. Completely take the corniness and really enjoy it. And just think, for years, it's been Justice League. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, you know, that's what it has been in comics. You know, the JSA, I mean, they're coming back now, but they've been away for, for quite a while. And these are characters that Jeff Johns is a fan of. We've got the JSA in this live action TV series, the Black Adam movie with Dwayne Johnson. They've, yeah. they've come out and said, we're going to get Atom Smasher, a Hawkman and there's a couple of other a Cyclone and more JSA members are in that. And there's a, a DC animated movie coming out, Justice Society, World War ii So it's like yeah, for years we've not had JSA or not much of it. And now all of a sudden, we're getting a lot. And I'm I'm really grateful for it.
1: Yeah. Um and I'm I'm glad, like you said, Jeff Johns has such a, a love for these characters. And my only thing with this series, um, which I completely understand why they didn't go this route, is I was really hoping to get some of his JSA run in the series of some of the old timers left to be the mentors to train up the new heroes. But unfortunately, all we have is Pat and Stripesy. But again, like
0: I, I do think we are going to see that. Not necessarily have them be mentors, but I do think in future seasons, we're going to get to see the JSA in their prime. Like there's, You see Alan Scott's Green Lantern Battery. Yes. There's reference to The Flash. Yep. The Jay Garrick version. But what Johns has come out and said, that's not fan service. We're not just teasing for the sake of teasing; is building to something. So that's make, that makes me think we are going to get to see them in their prime in future seasons.
1: Yeah, and given uh, how the 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 sort of post credits teaser we get at the end of this season, there's a couple of ways they can they can probably flesh that out. Um I don't want to go into too many spoilers there, but i'd love to see them i have a lot of love with these characters, especially ironically Hawkman and Hawk Girl because or Hawk Woman, depending on uh which version of the character you're you're reading uh they have been you know they have been there for at least as long as the flash they're probably in fact they are they're at seventy years now for the two of those. Um, and they always get overlooked. I mean, they back in the they were big members of the Justice Society, and then when they it got retooled into the Justice League, in the early days they were right there, and then they've just slowly been leveraged out. Like especially Hawkman, Hawk Girl still managed to make it into the animated Justice League series, the phenomenal Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. But, but do you know why
0: they use Hawk Girl and not Hawkman?
1: Uh, I think it's one, but it's probably get another female character into the, uh, into the lineup. That's it. That's why Um,
0: that is literally, that is, that is the reason why the the issue with, with Hawkman and as recent as the current ongoing series that DC are putting out, they can only seem to tell one Hawkman story and it's always a new take on his origin. They're always doing origin stories for that character. It seems like they've they've tweaked it enough now and they've got a new set origin for Hawkman. And it's, I believe, they're still pushing forward with these issues. So I'm hoping we get new stories because he is a really cool character. But yeah, his, just his alter to... ego
1: is, uh... Not a paleontologist, uh archaeologist yeah just think Indiana just, Jones only yeah he can fly and he has a mace it's cool yeah you, yeah you can do a lot of stuff with that I don't understand why they think that's not an interesting side hustle
0: <laughs> again he's going to be in the Black Adam movie with Dwayne Johnson and hopefully they continue to introduce more members of the JSA on the big screen we'll get them on the small screen in Stargirl and that upcoming animated movie so there's a lot more jsa coming up there's one more mentor i guess you can yes i'll say he's a mentor so you've got pat dugan we've kind of got dr midnight as a mentor to the new dr midnight i'm talking about henry thomas who voices dr charles mcnider so and he's a ai program for all intents and purposes the voice yeah, all intents and purposes. He is who we would know as the original Doctor Midnight.
1: Yeah. Um, and they do, it's a smart way of getting around it. Like you said, they do end up with another mentor because a lot of the exposition and the the necessary um, skills for the new Doctor Midnight, she would be as a character without Chuck she is just a person standing there it's like it's she her only use is uh the goggles of the original dr midnight and his sort of the the ai version of himself that helps deliver this information in a uh a quick easy to digest form for her not that she's not highly intelligent but she doesn't have the skills that the, the goggles take care of everything else for
0: Yeah, okay, yes. So without the goggles, she wouldn't be there. But this show does do something different when portraying the JSA. Let's take Yolanda, for example. Like, We find out that she is capable in her own right in this show, but when she puts on the Wildcat costume, it's too big to begin with, but then it fits her physique, it moulds to her body shape, And then it gives her cat-like agility.
1: Yeah. um, And it also has extendable, like, steel claws. So she can climb the outside of buildings. The claws can pierce
0: concrete. But if you think Wildcat, who we know, Ted Grant, is a brawler, is an ex-boxer. It can take a punch and, and that's it. Like, he's a big, tough guy. yeah
1: um yeah and i did you you, you probably say they morphed it around especially in the jeff johns run of mixed martial artists like he was like one of those original and the you were not allowed into the field as a member of the justice society or a teen hero who had gone through the, the program or a justice league member if you could not hold your own against ted grant with your hand-to-hand combat period like no powers you had to do it purely on um your the self-defense and your martial arts that's how good he was there's a reason why he's on the jsa yes he had no powers at all like you said he could you know what i i'm
0: just thinking now i think in john's run, he had a thing where wildcat had nine lives
1: Yes, it was a curse of some or something. Yes, something Zing, to okay. do with yeah, but yeah, he's um, and that's something that they did in the Justice League Unlimited cartoon as well. Like Black Canary was mentored by Wildcat, and then she took over the training, the physical training of other heroes as well. Um, so and they kind of do that, like Yolanda. Once he learns of Wildcat, starts watching old YouTube videos because you can watch his fights and reads his Wikipedia article and is like, "Wow, this guy was incredible! How i never heard of this guy." Um, so but they do kind of a magical suit. I think it's magical, but yeah, you can't see. It's not. It's not completely out of the realms of what they did in the, the comic. And you know, he did have a son that for some reason could turn into a cat
0: yeah which was strange yeah yeah, it was, yeah. He was just a big black cat like he literally yeah looked so, like yeah
1: <laughs> yeah so it was like
0: a merging of those two things how crazy was it when you know courtney she has the idea i'm gonna i'm gonna form a brand new jsa and she has a big sports bag and she's just jamming in all the all the objects like alan yeah. scott's green lantern battery and she she um uh, thunder the, yeah, the genie the, she's got the, in the pen. pen yeah and then she just she leaves it on her desk because she's like oh this is just a pen this is the anything but then you hear the laughter i love the fact that they're hinting at things and we know there's going to be there's going to be more coming but just when she's just like just so carefree and just she's got these yeah. like these these weapons essentially and she's <laughs> just trying yeah. to find and she's,
1: stuff, and she's trying to stuff them in a the locker at a school you like um hint number one love as a superhero <laughs> Don't go lugging around not just your own gear, but an entire superhero roster's gear around in the bag at school. Surely, like, surely someone's going to be—it's suspicious. It's a big ass bag. What's in the bag? Gym stuff. (laughs) That bag's as large as you are. Why do you need so much gear?
0: So all these characters then, the JSA, all get their their powers from objects. I mean, again, we will get introduced to Jay Garrick at a later date, and he has powers himself. I think, like Jay Garrick, it wasn't um, lightning and mixed chemicals like Barry Allen. He got his powers from, he was inhaling hard water. That was a thing. back Back when he was created, the original Green Lantern, Alan Scott, who was a train driver and saw a green light.
1: Yeah, it was a mystical meteor that told him how to craft it into a lantern and fashion a ring.
0: Crazy. So way before the Green Lantern Corps, we had the original <laughs> Green Lantern. So these are characters that we'll get to, but in this show, we do briefly see the original Our Man, which was pretty cool, and yep. played by Lou Ferrigno's son.
1: Yeah. Um, which blew my mind. I'm like, wait, Lou Ferrigno has a son who's an actor? Yeah, his name and is Luke pa- uh, yeah. Junior. Jr. <laughs> yeah. And he also, like Owlman would be a great get for him. Like, you're like, oh, of course, like, like someone who gets super strengths for an hour. Like it makes sense. And uh, he's gone within an episode. Oh, they but said listen, he-
0: but how did he go? Uh, I was so was, surprised. Um, Solomon Yeah. Bradley.
1: Holy yeah, crap. just uh, yeah, just you're like, oh, they're going to get attacked or something. There's got to be some reason why they haven't, why they're not around. And yeah, like, yeah, how about a giant Frankenstein, Hulk-like monster thing? Cool. That's normal. That's where we are in this in 2020 on TV shows. Of like, we'll throw a Solomon Grundy at it. It's fine. But not just one. And he looks great. It comes back. Yeah, it comes back, and he's still
0: a character that is that is out there. But all these characters, whether it's Our Man, Doctor Midnight, Wildcat, Stargirl, their costumes. Just like the comics.
1: Yeah, um I like Our Mans. It's uh it, it's simple. It's it's just basically the yellow on the back of the, the hood cape thing, and then an all black bodysuit with the red stripes, two very like in like small red stripes on the arms but it works star girl is what would you do if you put the captain america costume on a girl like unfortunately it's shorts like it, at certain points in the show it looks fairly cold i'm like you can give her long like 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 full length trousers that's fine
0: and maybe but, you know, it's comic that. accurate yeah, that's the thing. I think for the first season, let's having a look just like she does in, in the comics, but look at the latest season of Supergirl. They've given her pants. Yeah. She's no longer no longer wearing a skirt. And I'm not yeah. sure if it was for all the costumes, but Stargirl's suit was designed by Laura Jean Shannon, who also designed the costumes for Titans, Doom Patrol, and Black Lightning.
1: Yeah, um, I also like the whole sequence we get of her using the uh, home economics class to customize the original Starman's costume into hers because they establish, they don't even touch on it, but they establish it clearly it's not normal fabric because she ruins like three sewing machines trying to work on the thing and break scissors and all sorts of stuff. I'm like, So there's a reason why she can kind of take some hits and stuff. But in, it's not normal in the, fabric. No, but in the comic, she's got a red belt, hasn't she? She wears the, the belt of the
0: original star-spangled kid, and that has like a protective force field. So that's why she can take blasts in the comics. So I think you're right. Yeah. In the show, they're doing it a little bit differently. But another thing they're doing differently, so the cosmic staff, it's been used by many people over the years, but it's the first time it's been interpreted in this way because in the show the staff it's sentient yeah we don't know to has- what level but it's got its own personality in the comics whether it's james Robinson's starman jeff Johns stargirl or the other takes on the character the staff has always been an object and a weapon whereas in the show it's got a mind of its own
1: yeah and i believe in the comics as you said i think it was I, I, I my brain's for some reason even while i was watching the show i'm like wasn't it called the cosmic rod like i understand why you changed the name because it's it's, it's it, it sounds more cumbersome to call something the cosmic rod rather than the cosmic staff but yeah um it was very much just you had to be able to wield this weapon it was you had to have a certain uh, uh, but like i said no artificial intelligence or sentience or anything of that nature but it works and it helps it helps distinguish her from um, other iterations of the character, but also the staff covers her own lack of experience with its own vast experience like because when she first starts practicing with it, it's just her doing her gymnastic skill and around the staff, but it's kind of like they mesh together into a fighting style which works quite well and visually it's quite interesting to watch even though i will say some of the choreography fight choreography for the show was a bit um discombobulated just it might just be the physics that weird thing of like essentially she's doing what would be a horizontal or like on on horizontal bar doing a swing she's doing that vertically and my brain's like wait what what am I looking at? And the, the physics don't work, but you kind of go with it. You're like momentum, cosmic staff, superheroes, whatever. But um, yeah, it's, it's really smart cover because she doesn't need to keep relying on Pat. When Pat won't do anything and won't help her out. The staff's like, ah, screw him. Let's go. It doesn't talk, but it's kind of the personality you get that it's, it's kind of mischievous and it doesn't respect Pat. <laughs> But saying that though, there is the moment like
0: after she's injured badly and she's like, she's cut up so bad, Pat has to say to Barbara, we are in a car crash. Yeah. And, and this, this is what happened. And then Pat and the staff, he says like, you can't do this anymore. You know, she's not ready. You need to leave it. You need to leave her alone, essentially. And then when she goes to use the staff again, it won't work for her. Yeah. And then they have this whole thing of like she's gotta believe in herself and and then it starts working for her again. But it was interesting that for a time it did seem to listen to Pat.
1: Yeah, because it's already exi- it's already had one of its masters slash friends die on it. Like, do you wanna happen again? Like, she's a teenager. She doesn't have Sylvester's experience, which He's not wrong, you know. Like a sixteen-year-old girl who's been doing this for a couple of weeks against a guy who spent had a whole career as a hero alongside other competent heroes. Like, let's be let's let's not be silly. You know, you're more than just a point me and shoot me that way. You're, hey, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Um, which I do like. It worked really well. Um, man, you know. The other one I thought did really well um, was the character who played our man, Rick Tyler, uh, Cameron Gelman. I've never seen him in anything before, but he's got a lot to handle. He's dealing with, when you forget his story, you know. as you said, Solomon Grundy, when he's six years old, basically kills his parents and he's living with his, his uncle, who is only there because his mum paid him money, essentially $40,000. And now he's spent uh, 10 years growing up with this guy who doesn't give a crap about him. And it affects his personality. He starts, he's, you know, he's a bit of a dick Big until yeah. Courtney bu- basically bullies him into like, Hey, you could be somebody here. Here's your father's thing. <laughs> Here's
0: but your I father's like,
1: necklace.
0: I like having someone on the team. Cause again, like we've used the word hokey. I like the fact that, and you know, he's got yellow on his costume. Well, I guess like Wolverine, you know, he's got yellow on his costume, but you've got this tough guy that he is gonna work within a team, but he just gives them that little bit of an edge. It's why I always liked, say Wolverine on the X-Men. You know, it was always just like, it was more extreme than everybody else. And not quite to that level, but you get that from from our man.
1: Yeah, and and every team needs one. There always needs to be one dick because everyone can't be getting along like super friends all the time because without any interpersonal um, drama, everything has to come externally. And he definitely brings that. And understandably so as well. He's He's orphaned. And he's unlike everyone else. He's had a bad upbringing. Um, And, you know, the nature of the the character in the comics, our man used to initially have, it wasn't a mystical necklace thing that gave him a power for an hour. It was actual drugs. And so obviously as they did in the comics, it became a thing of, he was starting to get addicted to it. Um, And it's a really great, uh, Storytelling method of here's someone who was felt powerless, like you know you see him he's trying to rebuild his dad's car, he's gone and bought a part with his own money that his uncle's then sold because he's a dick, so he can get beer money like he has every right to like or has every justification in his mind to be like, you know what now I'm super strong, I could just do what I want, so he you know you're kind of waiting for that to happen it adds. So much more textured to the character,
0: but then you've got it on the other side as well. You've got Henry King Jr., and the whole thing is you find out originally we're led to believe that Jordan Icicle was responsible for killing his mother, but then you find out it was actually his dad Brainwave that murdered his mother, and then his son. Yeah, so this show goes to very dark places at times.
1: Yeah, and Henry King Jr., played by Jake Austin Walker, really good job. Like, he's playing basically just a school bully for the first half of the season. And then as his power starts to develop, because he's got, you know, his dad brainwave, played by Christopher James Baker, is a bully to him. Not physically, but he's mentally taking chips at him like he's looking for him to have the same abilities as he has so he's trying to get him to read his mind and that and you can see in his personality the way he addresses his dad whenever he's around he's goes quiet his body language tenses it's really great dynamic between the two of them so when his abilities start to kick in and thankfully he has a lot of a lot of videotapes to watch as a guide but when he's per- he's like, I don't want to be like my dad. He's kind of an asshole. Like, I buy into it completely. You know, I'm so, you know, I'm like, you know what? The rest of the JSA need to take him along. He's give him a chance. Stop being a dick. Like, he's had it tough. You guys have had it tough, but he's had it tough too. Like, it's really well done. I, I was really impressed.
0: Yeah. After reading the comics, you have the character, Ship. And she's got the white streak in her hair. And then I'm watching this show. There's the character Cindy Berman with a white streak in her hair. I'm thinking, is she gonna be Shiv? And yes, she was. Yeah. And she and again, like this, it's about kids of superheroes and kids of supervillains. And her dad is the Dragon King. And they didn't shy away from that visual. Like, he's cloaked for the most part. And you saw the reptilian eyes underneath. But you didn't quite see his face, but you saw other people seeing him. Or did you see his face?
1: No, you never see his actual face without the hood. You see him before his obvious uh, transformation, an old photo of him as just the human scientist, Dr. Ido. But you never actually see underneath the hood. Um, which while I was watching, all I could think was um Cobra Commander. <laughs> <laughs> but, other, but other characters they they do
0: see. So they've gone for it, but I guess on a TV budget, or maybe they've shown as much as they want to show at, at this stage.
1: Yeah, because they definitely have uh really good prosthetics underneath that hood around the eyes. It looks great, and I was really curious the whole time to see underneath there and all of the other characters except for icicle seemed to have a pro and his daughter were like giving him space so i'm like oh he must be awesome he's gonna be so cool when he finally lets loose but yeah i was just gonna have to have to wait but i did like icicle
0: so it was a pretty i don't know cool character but really quite, <laughs> quite enjoyed this and it is a Because you're right, like there's some of these characters that we're not going to be overly familiar with, but Icicle is one that has appeared in Justice League comics over the years. I, I was familiar with him as a character. You know, this is a superhero show, and you know what I love, whether it's superhero movies or TV shows, is when you have a really impactful score, and we really get a plucky superhero score here by Pinar Toprak.
1: Yeah. Um, it sounds very much like John Williams' Superman theme at the start.
0: Yes. And then
1: it changes on the second half. Like, uh, it's it's hard to quite uh, recall because I'll, every time it played at the start of the show, I'm like, hey, it's – no, it's not. It's not Honestly, that. It's not I, that theme. My my brain initially, because it, it kind of tri- it almost uses the same like horn beats and that sort of stuff to build that drags you along of like you know this is a superhero like sound, um, but it works. Yeah, and they, it work. they
0: they change you up slightly. I'd say you know the fact that at times it sounds like John Williams isn't by accident. I think that is what they would have been going for. She's even. Um, used the Superman theme officially on previous work. She scored Krypton. And there was a couple Ah. of times in that show where they actually used the John Williams music because they had permission from Warner Brothers, but they could only use it in certain capacities. And they had, had it for like a certain amount of time. And one of them was season one in the Fortress on Krypton. They used it there, but other superhero work she's done, Captain Marvel, that was her. Oh wow! So she's yeah. done, she's done quite a bit, and she, she did um, some test music, or she, part of an audition for Wonder Woman, which ultimately she didn't get, and she put this piece together, um, yeah, a whole like Wonder Woman piece, and I guess the right people heard it. And she was sought out for Captain Marvel. And Jeff Johns himself contacted uh, Toprak on Instagram. And her immediate oh, reaction cool. was, Well, this is a joke. It's clearly <laughs> not Jeff Johns. Because at the time, I think it was a new account for him. So he didn't have the blue tick. And then her agent contacted her saying, Yeah, no, Jeff Johns, he wants you. And This is a big difference between Stargirl and all the CW shows. Every episode of Stargirl had a live orchestra. Oh, wow. Because John said to her, like, what do you need? And she's like, well, if you want the show to be what you're saying you want it to be, then really the music has to be big. And to do that, I need an orchestra. And he stuck yeah. to his word, and he made it happen, all 13 episodes,
1: live orchestra. That's great. It may, it does make a difference as well, because I didn't notice uh, whilst watching through the show that a, a, a thing, it's, it's, it's shorthand for any TV show, but it's especially shorthand on superhero shows that they'll just have the theme, and they'll find ways to use it. And they don't even have three main pieces that they've recorded right off the bat that they kind of intersperse between all of the episodes of the season. But what it means is every time you're in a certain emotional type of scene, they use the same music. I noticed this when we did the watch rewatch of the Spider-Man animated series for the same three pieces of music. As soon as the, I, the scene was about to start of that kind, I'm like that music's going to come and there it is. I never felt that for this show at all. In fact, it was so seamless, I never noticed the same piece of music played twice.
0: Even, like, so again, 13 episodes, and there's at least four changes made to the title card music. Because the title card, like, it's not like back in the day when you get, like, a like a minute or a minute and a half for an opening title sequence. You get maybe 10, 15 seconds, and there's at least... I- Four variations across 13 episodes. So you can see that uh, Tobrak, she's not phoning it in. Like she's no, putting I, everything into the show.
1: Yeah. Um, and I gotta imagine like it's a lot more time consuming and uh, less lucrative to do a whole season of a TV show than it is to do a single film. Like for a single film, you could get that done in – a fraction of the time of the season of a TV show because you've got two and a half hours, say typically, or less for a film to do a full score for for a TV show. This is 13 episodes. That was, you know, uh, 12 hours roundabouts, maybe even a bit, maybe a little longer of time you've got to score for. It's so much more effort. And again, because yeah, budget's, it's a lot less money, so good honor for for really putting in that kind of effort. Well, you and good look, on Jeff Johns for approving yes, it.
0: Yeah, definitely. But if you look at Blake Neely on on the CW shows or on the Arrowverse shows, although they've they've officially changed their name, haven't they? It's the CW verse of superheroes or something yeah. like that. So it's no longer Arrowverse. But anyway, Blake Neely on that, he started and he did it all. Whether it was Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, but the more that he was taking on, it brings someone on to work alongside him. And he did that with Batwoman as well. So yeah. they've obviously changed tactics here and they've gone to uh, Toprak. And I'm so glad that they did. You know, she's confirmed that she's coming back for season two. In an interview, she was asked about Captain Marvel 2, which we know is happening, and she couldn't comment on that. So whether that means that she's not allowed or she's not coming back, but for the sake of today, I'm happy (laughs) that she's coming back and we're going to get her on Stargirl again because she really does bring a theatrical quality. And the, the right music, whether it's film or TV, can do so much. To elevate what you're actually seeing on screen, so I'm yeah, I think she did a phenomenal job.
1: Yeah, same. Um, and just as a, an example for this, we've had um, we're getting the Emmys as of time of recording for this. Uh, the official full Emmys I think are on uh, Sunday night, uh, or essentially later on today for the US. I think Monday tomorrow it's actually going to start airing. Um, but we've had a bunch of the technical awards, and the Mandalorian won the best uh, music production for a TV series uh, during the week. Um, for um, I'm not sure if you've like I have watched the making of Mandalorian. Uh, yeah, I love that whole the Mandalorian, and that's why I watched uh, the docu series. Yeah, but you can see for uh, I can't remember the uh, the composer's name, Goran something Uh, or other ludwig yeah uh yes i think it's the fifth episode of the behind the scenes of mandalorian the whole thing is on the music alone and how much effort he put into that series and you can see when you have someone uh passionate like priya on uh, on this it makes a massive difference because you are scoring a little movie you each week you have to put in, it has to be seamless over the course of it. There has to be beats because it's superhero themes that come in to trigger you as an audience member of like, Oh, this is coming up, but it does do a whole, it does take your storytelling to a whole other level. It really does. If it's not there, you will notice.
0: And both of them are similar journeys. So like it's a Ludwig Gonson before he did Mandalorian. He did Black Panther. Yeah just yeah, like uh, pinard did captain marvel and then stargirl so we're saying that you know these tv show scores sound like movies they've got film composers yeah. i think that's yeah. where the big distinctions coming in here but yes the mandalorian and stargirl are both fantastic
1: yeah um I'll be really curious to see where they go because they've, they've put in so much legwork for their season two uh, right off the bat, which is smart. You know, you don't want to be doing that thing that was, especially in the two, the, between 2000 and 2010, when, like they were notorious of. Let's build up a bunch of season. St- we'll, we'll just make this one season, and then right before, like in the final episode, we'll drop all of this stuff for our possible season two, and there is going to be no season two. Stargirl has not done this. They have dropped stuff throughout, throughout the entire season of where they could possibly go. Um, I mean, they do have a universe worth of comic book stuff to draw on, but it's important that you start laying it down early because otherwise your final episode does feel like you're sacrificing it to a dump of stuff uh, that we'll get around to. Okay, so before we get to our rating then, let's just talk about that last
0: scene. Sean McCall, yeah. Starman. We don't know what's happening or how he's back, but he's back. We saw him yeah. die in the opening scenes of the pilot. Yet yeah, he is somehow back and he's looking for the
1: cosmic staff. Yeah, I. Uh... Is it because. Spoilers. Icicle dies? Could it be connected Ooh, to think? that?
0: I mean, we'll yeah, the spoiler warning at the end. So hopefully, if people have not seen the show, they've not been listening for however long we've been talking.
1: Yeah, um, because Ice Powers, was he in suspended animation? Maybe not dead. Oh, because he was hit by a guy who was frozen, and now he's gone. That, However Icicle's powers work, could that be a thing? Could it be yeah, attached he's... to the shade? Who was Ooh. the other thing that we got yes. at the uh, closing of the episode? The Shade, obviously a very famous Starman villain. I don't know. I am really curious because I was shocked. I'm like, who's this? Is this a is this Courtney's biological father? The Dick? Is this what he's done with the money? Ah, uh, yes. Because um, you just see the hair. <laughs> like, they did a really crazy thing of the re- like Courtney thinking. Starman's her father because her little locket and the hair that you can see you're like ah, it looks like joel McHale. and then yeah so that's the scene i'm seeing and then like when it it pans and you see his face i'm like wait a minute i generally
0: um, didn't know that was going to happen so it was a nice surprise and a good tease for where it's going to go but i like your theory about icicle and maybe if he's back other people could be back also but Yes. Okay. We didn't really talk about Jeff Stultz as Sam Curtis, Courtney's biological dad, and yeah, we got some good Pat Dugan out of that. You know, we've yeah. Courtney giving up one half of the locket; it meant so much to her, and then Pat chasing him down and saying, "Hey, she's a great kid, and you really hurt her from coming back here, and you need to leave." It was a really good moment because yeah. you were saying before how, well, right at the beginning, uh, a step parent, you know, and whether it's you know being that new parent, how do you discipline? You know, all those things. I think they did a good way of of not be not being told the kind of parent Pat was over the season. They showed us and him standing up and sending their biological father on his way, who proving himself to not be a good guy was a really good moment for Pat.
1: And it also gave me the most uh, emotional reson- emotionally resonant moment of the season as well, which was at the end. You know, from episode one, we know that Courtney's been carrying around since her fifth birthday this Christmas gift that's been wrapped for her dad, who never turned up. And at the end of the show, she gives it to Pat. And you're like, and what is it? What's best dad mug? <laughs> like it, that one got me. I'm like, what is it? What is this thing that she's been holding all this time? And I, I I thought it'd be more personal, but it was just a, like an actual, like you're the world's best dad. It's saying it without saying it. And it's also how she got through to Pat in the, uh, in the, the second, ep- in the last episode when he's, being controlled like dad no.
0: Yes. Hearing
1: her use those words was so enough to break through.
0: Impactful and just seeing them embrace. Yeah, they did all of them involved did a really good show. A really all of them did a really good job of selling those relationships. Like they were very, very believable.
1: Yeah. What I will say, and this feeds directly into my rating, um unfortunately it is the show is called Stargirl, not just a society. And I did find that because of the amount of focus put in on the, the family dynamic for Courtney and Pat and Mike and Barbara, unfortunately it left the rest of the justice society members wanting in terms of uh, growth. Like each of them got a little bit of an episode to like, how do they get to where they are? Like Beth, Uh, her parents are busy and she's kind of alone. She doesn't have friends. So she's kind of a loner and um, a huge nerd. Um, And that's why Chuck's such a boon for her because she's got a AI to communicate with a friend that never goes away and is interesting. Um, Yolanda was going for student president. I think she was the student president and and was going for re-election when her life falls apart because of uh, I don't think it was Henry King Jr. I actually think it was Shiv that screwed her over on that one. <laughs> they never I just, actually, yeah, I cover that.
0: Fourth on that, yeah. For a while, I thought, but then, yeah, whether he was just covering for Cindy because uh, he did kind of own it. But I was thinking yeah. that maybe Cindy did it without him realizing. But then, I guess when he all apologizes he was, as if he was guilty yeah. I, he, I, he was
1: the one who asked for the photos.
0: I think he did it. I think yeah. he didn't mean. What happened? Get out. Just got out. Got out of hand. But I, I do think he
1: was. He did the wrong thing. I do think. Yeah. So. Um. But yeah. Um. All of those. All their not just their storylines, but their screen time was so truncated to to service Stargirl and the Whitmores, that. As, well, as I said, it's the title of the show is Starkill.
0: Um, yes, I don't think you can ding it too much on that because it is a show about Starkill. I think it's because these other characters are playing established superheroes. Like when we reviewed Batwoman recently, you didn't have issue with not having enough Luke Fox we're no, fairly no. satisfied with the level of Luke Fox that, Fox that we got. Do you know what I mean? But I think it's because, I think if Luke Fox would have been, say, Batwing, you'd be like, oh, wow, why did we get more Batwing? But it's, it's a short season, 13 episodes, and we know we're going to get more of the JSAs. So it is a lot of story to fit in, but I'm glad that they did include the other characters as well, though.
1: Yeah, um, and I think the truncated season, I, as we've discussed on many previous podcasts, like 13 is the way to go. Don't go 22, 24 episodes. It's way too much uh, airtime to to cover anything to a satisfying degree, um, really. But because of that, um, and some of the disjointed stuff, like when this is a old man, Jay, coming in, of why don't these punk kids listen to the adults? Like, uh, I think it was episode uh, 10 or 11 when Barbara um, actually, like, when she finds out that Courtney's been doing superheroing, she's like, she just got sick. And I'm like, finally, a real parent comes in and takes him by the scruff of the neck and like, that's it, you're grounded, this is all bullshit. I was like, so relieved because I'd spent the whole season, like, grumbling of, please, would one of you people listen? Like, how, you know, uh, how does everyone just bungle into this? So, yeah. unfortunately, that did hurt my enjoyment of my crutchety old man. Like, these punk teenagers.
0: That was a nice uh, reveal, though. I was really surprised to see that Barbara was going to find out, and especially find out in season one. And it was good to eventually have her on Team Star Girl, who was actually working with Courtney. Because I thought it was going to be, you know, season after season of her sneaking out, and a mum never knowing. But okay, Jay, you, you're painting the picture here. If you were the rate this movie out of five.
1: Yeah. TV series um, and, even, not a movie. If you yeah. to rate
0: this TV series out of five.
1: Yeah. I unfortunately have to give it a three Um just because it's shot really well. The sounds really done, done brilliantly. The costumes. Great. um this, The overall story um for the season works. Even the, the questioning at the end when they start going through, the Injustice Society's like statement of like, we want people to believe in renewable energy and all this. And they're like, are we sure we're doing the right thing here? Uh it's not until they find out that it's going to kill 25% of the people that like, yeah, no, nah, we're right, we're right. Um Yeah, it just unfortunately it it dragged on me on certain ways. Some of the clumsiness in terms of the fight choreography, I which I could imagine with so many superhero shows, not just from CW and DC in general, but everyone has a show of this type running and how many fight choreographers do you have left and how much time do they have for each character to pick up? Like clearly Beck Basinger had more time or her stunt double had more time to learn and master choreography than the others. And some of it moved too fast. Like the first fight, for the JSA in the uh, in the Dragon King's lair, they're just suddenly just Courtney doesn't have a staff. They're dropping bodies like crazy, and like none of these people really have done other than Yolanda, who they've established has been training self defense for a long time, should be this capable. And I just found yeah, just some some rough uh, some rough delivery on some of this stuff, which dragged me down to a three. How about yourself?
0: Yeah, I'm also going to come in at a three. But just want to say I did enjoy this show. It shows a lot of potential. But yeah, similar issues that you had with it. But I'm looking forward to more. And I think it's going to be a show that goes from strength to strength. And I'm just hoping, I mentioned a couple of times already, we do get to see... Um, some more members of the JSA and maybe some JSA members in their prime. Uh, but it is a fun show. And although uh, you know, at first glance, it looks like another Arrowverse show, it's not. It very much is its own thing. And yeah, looking forward to more Pinar Toprak because she is fantastic.
1: Yeah, and I do think this is a nature of, um, I'm sure being the fact that it was for the DC streaming service, there wasn't the the, week-to-week pressures of a filming schedule that you would have on the typical CW shows. I'm pretty sure this would have been filmed a lot more like a Netflix-type season, um, which (sighs) means that they didn't have the amount of time living with these characters, to really for all the people involved really gel with on like, well, you get this with a lot of first seasons of shows like Babylon five is my go to of like you watch the first season of that show and then you watch the second season. And you're like, well, how did the quality pick up so much? And it's that as you live with the show and you live inside a character and you get more comfortable with the cast and crew, Everything gels. The writing gels, the acting gels, the delivery gels, the more fight choreography and things of that nature, like um, Katie Cassidy on Arrow was a great example of someone who really started to nail the fight choreography as the show went on. I think this is, like you said, going to go from strength to strength.
0: Well, that's it for our episode all about Stargirl Season 1. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics
1: Podcast. As always, you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.